Chapter 14 I had a little over an hour to get dinner for Marco and settle him back on the couch before leaving to stake out the mayor after city council. There was no time to contact Gus for a decoy car. It'd be hard to be inconspicuous in my black excursion, but I didn't have a choice. With Mary Margaret unable to babysit, I made Marco promise he could stay alone in the house without any problems. Oh, he'll be fine, Katie assured me. He's at the age I started leaving my kids by themselves. Eh, through all that, I kept thinking about Anna Maria and Joe. While Pecorini may have had a solid alibi for the night of Anna Maria's murder, I found it very hard to believe he had kinky encounters with his sister-in-law without knowing exactly who she was. Experience told me they were doing the dirty. Unlike Harrison, Joe made no protestation about never having sex. Jumping into online dating would be a good cover for Anna Maria's relationship with her brother-in-law. I smirked to myself. For once, I was the cover for an illicit affair, and not the cause. How often did they meet? Youngstown was less than an hour from Fawcettville. It wouldn't be hard for those two to connect. However it happened, they managed to keep it seriously under wraps. I thought of Vivian's scoffing reply when I'd asked if there was a possibility Anna Maria and Joe were an item. She'd never do that to Carlotta or me. She was the glue that held us together. But Vivian also said that Joe's infidelity was common knowledge to everyone, except maybe Carlotta. I remembered Anna Maria telling me that sexually transmitted disease rates were soaring in our age group. If Joe Pecorini was that much of a tomcat, would she have been sleeping with him? Or was she hiding her real self behind a mild-mannered social worker facade? And the veneer of a happy family was starting to crack. I'd been under the impression that the three sisters traveled every summer as a kind of bonding experience one sister more than willing to share her wealth to make the lives of a struggling single parent and an unhappily married woman a little better. Apparently that wasn't the case. Anna Maria and Vivian, as well as Vivian's ex-husband CJ, knew their brother-in-law screwed around with other women. What Carlotta and Vivian didn't know was that one of his paramours was closer to home than they knew. Sitting in the city hall parking lot, parked a couple cars away from the mayor's Cadillac, I sighed, confused at the web of lies this family had constructed. Carlotta didn't strike me as a naive housewife. A little uptight and probably not a lot of fun, but not naive. Maybe Carlotta was more involved than anyone realized. With her concern about appearances, maybe she was the one who killed Anna Maria. Not intentionally, perhaps. She confronted her sister and it got out of hand. That would explain the fact that there was no forced entry. Carlotta could have dropped by, and Anna Maria would have let her in with no questions asked. A confrontation ensued, and Carlotta shot her. Had I been hired then to keep her one step ahead of the police? I hadn't heard from Barnes on the case. He might be closer to solving this than I was. I made a mental note to give him a call after Anna Maria's funeral tomorrow. Then who was calling and making threats? More than one person had confirmed them. Carlotta told me about it first, and so had the blue-haired clerk, Peace, at the yarn store, as had Marco. Both of them had seen her take phone calls that rattled her. None of it made any damn sense. 
Maybe I needed to look a little further into the coded journal and that key. Hopefully, tomorrow, when Marco was back in school and things slowed down some, I'd get my chance. My cell phone buzzed in my pocket. I looked at the screen and smiled. Hello, gorgeous. Hello, sexy. It was Alicia. What are you doing tonight? I'm on a stakeout. Oh, who's with Marco? Shit. Uh, My sister Katie's watching him. He came home sick from school today, some 24-hour bug. No doubt about it, I'm a pathological liar. More than likely, she won't drop by the house to check on him. Who's the target? Yet another husband with a wandering eye? The wife thinks something's going on, but hasn't gotten anything concrete. I haven't seen anything that proves that either. There's some odd activity, but uh, I haven't caught him with anything worth divorcing him over. I wasn't going to let on that the husband was the mayor. I changed the subject. So, have you talked to probate boy yet? She was silent. No. You need to be honest with that guy. Like you were just honest with me about Marco? It was my turn to be silent. Uh, where are you? My place? Yes, Fitz, I am. And your sister Katie was never here. Marco told me he's been alone since you left at seven. I'm sorry. I'll be here when you get back. Looks like we need to renegotiate this custody agreement. The call ended. God damn it. There wouldn't be time for me to formulate an excuse. Or a line to beg for her forgiveness. Flashy Pete was coming out of City Hall's employee exit and into the parking lot. His brow was furrowed and he was speaking intently into his cell phone. He pointed his key fob at his Cadillac. The lights came on inside and the engine started. He jumped into the car and squealed out of the parking lot. I followed at a discreet distance. A little difficult since the mayor was pushing his way through traffic lights in the split second before they turned from yellow to red. He made it difficult to follow him, turning left or right when he caught a glimpse of me in his rear view. I made the assumption he was headed to Rosario Drayton's office, and I wasn't wrong. I cut my headlights as I came around the corner of the row of concrete buildings, just in time to see the mayor slip through the door. Was there a sliver of light coming through the front window curtains? I slipped from the excursion to check it out. Footsteps thudded behind me. Sharp pain radiated through my skull, and for an instant, the world lit up, and then went dark. I groaned and pushed myself up from the pavement, brushing cold slush from the side of my face. I don't know how long I'd been there. It was still dark, and the February cold was seeping into my old bones. My business cards were strewn around me, and my wallet, devoid of cash, lay open on the ground beside me. My head throbbed. Shivering with the cold, I reached back to touch the source of the pain. My hand came back bloody. I squinted at the accounting office across from me. Flashy Pete's Cadillac was gone. I patted my jacket. My Glock was gone too, and my cell phone. At least my attackers left my car keys. I staggered into the SUV. I needed to report the gun theft and the assault. Alicia might be pissed at me, but 
Even a pathological liar knew when he needed medical attention. It took five stitches to close the wound in my head. Barnes stood beside my gurney in the emergency room, taking my report as the doc stitched me up. I'd called him before I called Alicia. So what were you doing down there, Fitz? I told you. I was tailing a subject on a case. I got out of my car to see why he'd gone into a particular building, and before I knew it, it was lights out. When I came to, my cell phone and my Glock were missing. Who's the subject? I started to turn my head, and the doctor chirped at me. Hold still, please. Can I tell you someplace a little more private? Give me two minutes, and you can go into one of our conference rooms. Barnes looked up from his notepad. Is it that important? Yeah, it is. Ow! True to her word, the doctor was finished with her handiwork. She handed me a printed list of concussion symptoms to watch out for and an ice pack for my head. A nurse led Barnes and me to a small room adjacent to the emergency room where we could talk. So what the hell have you gotten yourself into now, Fitz? I've been tailing the mayor. His honor, Pete Zedkowski. I'm aware of the mayor's name. His wife thinks he's been screwing around on her, although she hasn't got any of the usual proof. No lipstick on the collar, no odd charges on credit cards, no texts. She just knows something's not right. Go on. The first time I followed him, he went to an accounting office. The place was locked up, dark as night, but he had a key. He went in and came out a few hours later. Next morning, somebody had pulled a battery cables off the car I was using and left a note threatening me if I did it again. I showed it to Mia Zetkowski and she didn't recognize the handwriting as her husband's, but did say he had some shady acquaintances. Hmm, okay, then what? I filled him in on the rest of it, following flashy Pete from city council to the accounting office, the footsteps and coming to on the ground with my weapon cash and cell phone missing. The Glock was your service weapon, right? The one the department gave you at retirement. I'm sure we've got the number on that in our files. He wrote for a few more minutes before he spoke again. I'll file this and get somebody on it. It's entirely possible that the assault was random and not connected with the mayor, but we'll check it out. I hate to tell you what you already know, but I bet we're not going to find your phone or your weapon. Yeah, you're probably right. I sank against the back of the chair, holding the ice pack against my skull. So what's going on with the Ippolito murder? Got any leads? He put his pen down. That's the damnedest thing. The family is something else. You'd think they'd be on my ass every hour of every day, wanting to know what we found, but the one sister I've had contact with, Carlotta, she's not helpful at all. Any questions I've asked, she doesn't claim to know anything. I was afraid of that. What do you mean? Carlotta hired me to find out if her sister was doing anything illegal or immoral before you guys did. I agreed only if she would turn anything we found over to the police. Clearly she hasn't. Briefly, I filled him in on the coded journal the Velvet Rope Sex Club, and the threatening phone calls Anna Maria was receiving before her death. To top it off, Carlotta said she found a bunch of books on Kimbaku in a storage locker earlier today, some clothing that looked like dominatrix attire. She brought it over to me, showed me. She's right. There was some kinky clothing in there, but I told her to call you and tell you about it. Yeah, she didn't. Probably because she suspects her husband could be involved. I told him about my encounter with Joe Pecorini and his well-known infidelities, including an alleged affair with Anna Maria. 
He told me he was at home the night of the murder and before that on a plane from Boston. And the kid couldn't have done it. We pinged his cell phone to a tower near his mother's house. Turns out he wasn't lying after all. I sighed, surprisingly relieved. What was the estimated time of death? Sometime between midnight and three or four. Coletta says he was in bed beside her all night long. Said she even got up in the middle of the night to check on one of the kids and Joe was there in their bed. He could drive from Youngstown, commit the crime, and be back within a couple hours. She could have slept through the whole thing, depending on what time she got up in the night. She could also be covering for him. If Carlotta knew her sister was involved with her husband, she could have been the one to drive from Youngstown to Fawcettville, kill Anna Maria, and drive back. What about their brother Hugh, the one I played football with? He's here for the funeral, staying downtown. There's no evidence he ever left California before the victim was killed. I didn't speak as Barnes chewed his lip. I could tell he was putting the pieces together. How many of those names did you decode in that book? Just the two, Steve Harrison and Joe Pecorini. Feel like going to your office and looking at the rest of them? Yeah. I flipped the lights on at the office, wincing at the glare. I was exhausted and in pain, but after I heard everything Barnes had to say, I was ready to ditch the case, especially if this would put Barnes on the right track to finding Anna Maria's killer. I walked back to the coffee pot in the area that had once been the teller stations. If this was going to take all night, we'd need the caffeine. By the time the liquid was beginning to drip into the pot, Barnes was rapping on my window with his knuckles. I let him in and we walked back to my desk. I pulled the journal out of my drawer. I showed him the first two pages and how I deciphered the code. I still haven't figured out what the symbols beneath each name mean, but I have a feeling that it pertains to what each client liked and how it was priced. I pointed to the dollar signs, the large X's, and the coiled circles. Barnes molded over. Let's see who's next. Over the next hour, we each worked on a couple names, coming up with everyday guys, names that neither Barnes or I knew. Then, over the next few pages, the names got interesting. I recognized vice presidents of some of the fracking companies in town, a couple local doctors. It wasn't all men, either. A few ladies were also listed. I had to admit, this was starting to pique some of my more prurient interests. Tell me something, I asked, stopping to gulp my coffee. If there is a sex club in town, is it illegal? Not necessarily. If the owner of the club, whoever that is, charges fees to belong to the club, but doesn't arrange the sex or take money for it, no, not illegal. If the owner does take money for sex and arranges it, then he or she can be charged with facilitating prostitution. Now, those swingers clubs, that's another story. A lot of those happens in folks' homes, uh, all that consensual, no money changes hands, not illegal at all. As he was talking, I thought to myself, how does he know about this stuff? Uh, maybe I don't want to know. What if there's bonded stuff going on at a club? Barnes shook his head. Again, if there's no sexual contact, it's not prostitution. It's like hiring a stripper for your bachelor party. I turned to the next page. The code at the top was IXMX, L-S-T-M-D-H-P-L-O-B. There were four dollar signs beneath the name, and circles around three black dots. 
I wrote the coded name on a piece of paper. Okay, Barnes, tell me what the I stands for. The letter P, and the X, E, and the M. T, P-E-T-E, Pete. I shot a look sideways at him. What do you think? I think lots of guys are named Pete. You're jumping the gun, Fitz. Okay, what does L stand for? S. And the next letter in the code, the S? Z. It couldn't be, could it? The T. A. The M. T. Barnes and I stared at each other, incredulous at what we were spelling out. The letters kept coming. S-Z-A-T-K-O-W-S-K-I. Pete Zitkowski liked kinky sex. And that kinky sex likely occurred with Anna Maria. Had Anna Maria found out something and threatened to expose him? Had he killed her for it? I turned to the detective. Did the mayor of Fawcettville, or one of his minions, attack me and take my gun? Because he thought I was getting too close to who murdered Anna Maria.